welcome to a special episode of Music for Life, a program which explores the purpose and value of music to humanity's enrichment. I'm Ryan Malone, concert manager for Armstrong Auditorium and host of this program. This is another of our special episodes titled Pre-Concert Talks. These episodes will air the week of a concert at Armstrong Auditorium here in Edmond, Oklahoma, and we are coming up on another exciting event here at Armstrong. This is the grand pas de deux from the final scene of Don Quixote, a ballet with music by Ludwig Minkus. We are hearing a recording by the Sofia National Opera Orchestra with conductor Naiden Todorov. This ballet will be performed twice on the Armstrong Auditorium stage here in Edmond, Oklahoma, Monday and Tuesday, January 30th and 31st, presented by the Russian National Ballet Theater. This episode of Music for Life will serve as a pre-concert talk for these performances. In it, we will get a brief overview of the art of ballet's royal history, and we will discuss the world-renowned Russian National Ballet Theater and explore the basic elements of this magnificent ballet that they are performing at Armstrong. As stated in our first several pre-Concert Talk episodes, it's quite common for concert halls to provide printed program notes for concert goers or even a pre-concert lecture where patrons go into the hall early and hear about that evening's program. This episode is one of those lectures you could say in an audio format such as this. For this particular pre-concert talk, these program notes, if you will, we're talking about the Russian National Ballet Theater, the Ballet Don Quixote, and both its composer and choreographer, as well of some of the basic plot of the ballet. Last season, when discussing the Russian ballet performances coming to Armstrong, I opened the show with a brief history of ballet, as I thought this would be generally helpful to appreciate these performances at Armstrong. So before we get into our discussion of this particular ballet and this particular company, I want to play that excerpt from last year's pre-concert talk so our audience can be reminded of this important history first. Ballet is an approximately 400-year-old art form that sprouted out of the social etiquette required among nobility. Choreographed movements such as a tip of the hat and proper elevated posture eventually led to choreographed social movements set to music known as court dances. Since court etiquette in this Renaissance era was choreographed, to be in the presence of the king, you had to learn a specific set of steps or movements. To move ungracefully or to lose your balance was considered a humiliating disgrace. The poise required to be a noble at this time actually is the same poise required today of classical ballet dancers on stage. As ballet developed into a performing art, steps and technique were created, and as steps became standardized, specially designed costumes came about to facilitate freer movement for these motions. How all this came about specifically was, in the Renaissance era, Italian dukes and princes devised elaborate pageants in which courtiers danced in ornamental dress. These court dances were the springboard for ballet's appearance in the Baroque era, when these court dances were tied together with a plot line as entertainment for the king. Court dances served not only this entertainment value, but were also marks of prestige among the nobility. This was particularly true in 17th century France under Louis XIV. Dance was considered third among three principal exercises of nobility during his reign, riding, bearing arms, and dancing. Dance masters frequently accompanied the military in order to maintain their training while they were away. Jennifer Holman's book on the history of ballet says, Because physical appearance was taken to be a sign of inborn nobility, courtiers worked very hard to look and act noble. The historical significance of ballet is largely attributed to the importance that Louis XIV placed on its practice and performance in his courts. Homans writes, it was a matter of state, 
As he himself later reflected, these performances captured the hearts and minds of the people. He made it integral to life at court, a symbol and requirement of aristocratic identity so deeply ingrained and internalized that the art of ballet would be forever linked to his reign. It was under his auspices that the rules and conventions governing the art of classical ballet were born. Louis XIV's efforts to propagate dance life in France included the establishment of a Royal Academy of Dance in 1661. This academy developed and codified the five dance positions familiar in ballet and used in other dance styles. These positions are the basic vocabulary of ballet, analogous to the scale in music or primary colors in art, the creation of which revolved around presentation and movement in front of the king. From this dance academy, ballet grew from a distinguished act of nobles into a profession, with people training for dance roles and receiving salaries for their involvement. Ballet moved out of the court and onto the stage. Instead of a social activity, it became a theatrical one. As this was happening, the wardrobe of dancers had to change. In the early years of ballet's history back in the courts, nobility had placed as much attention on what they wore while dancing as they did on the dance itself. Costumes reflected more of the status of the dancer, not so much a description of the character he played. And at this time, court dances before the king were primarily performed by men. Women's dancing abilities were recognized only at social balls and occasionally in the queen's court dances. But as female participation in this art form grew, costumes that lent themselves to the freedom of movement for females had to follow, well, follow suit. By the late Baroque era came the reformed ballet dress that freed female movement and paved the way for further technical advances. Eventually, this led to a shortening of the dress and the invention of the tutu developed at the request of those viewing ballet to be able to see the intricate and quick leg movements in the art form. Now, this historical discussion of ballet has centered so far on France. Its origins there explain why almost all ballet terminology is in French, much like musical terminology is in Italian, since Italy is where music notation began to be standardized. If you were to watch the Russian ballet warm up on the Armstrong Auditorium stage, which I have done when they've come before, you mostly hear them talking in Russian to each other, but then when the master gives the command for a specific exercise, I recognize all those words as French words. Despite its French roots, the culture arguably at the forefront of the ballet tradition today is the Russian culture. Ballet's roots in this country had similar roots as what happened in France. Though dance in general was a peasant activity in Russia, not a refined art form, this changed under Peter the Great. Peter strove to westernize Russia and imagined himself as a Russian Louis XIV. Peter used the same method as Louis to reform court society with the practice of ballet. Similar to the development of ballet as a whole, the development of ballet in Russia came from a desire for social and noble etiquette, not necessarily as a form of artistic expression. But as in France, it would become formalized into a theatrical art form, and the first Russian state ballet school would open in 1735. Russia has made some of the greatest contributions to the art form, many of which are still performed today, thanks to the compositions of Peter Tchaikovsky and the choreography of Marius Petipa. So what began as pomp and prestige among nobility led to the creation of an art form based on poise and plot set to quality music. It wasn't until ballet progressed to America that its movement was based on something other than activities of a court society. Watch a ballet today without this history, and one can still be entertained. But with this history, one can deeply appreciate the ideals behind the art form's grace and strength, and its royal value still being displayed on stages today. You are listening to a special episode of Music for Life on KPCG. I'm Ryan Malone, concert manager for Armstrong Auditorium and host for this program. Today's episode has been another of our special pre-concert talks, and in it we are exploring the Russian National Ballet Theater and the ballet Don Quixote by Ludwig Minkus with choreography by Marius Petipa, which this renowned company will be performing at Armstrong Auditorium Monday and Tuesday, January 30th and 31st at 7.30 p.m. 
January 2017 kicks off a four-month coast-to-coast tour of the United States for this Russian dance troupe. Let's talk first about the company itself. In 1989, during the transitional time known as Perestroika, Sergei Radchenko founded the Russian National Ballet Theater Company. At this time, Russia was the USSR, and every entity was government-owned and operated. Under the leadership of Sergei Radchenko, honored artist of Russia, the first independent company of classical ballet was born and quickly gained popularity at home and abroad. Rodchenko formed the group with dancers from the famous Marinsky Theater in St. Petersburg, as well as the Bolshoi Ballet in Moscow, one of the world's oldest ballet companies. Rodchenko was himself a former star of the Bolshoi Ballet. His wife, Elena, principal dancer for both the Marinsky Theater and the Bolshoi, moved to create another company, the Moscow Festival Ballet, which also visits Armstrong Auditorium biannually, alternating with Rodchenko's Russian National Ballet Theater. These traveling companies preserve and present classical ballet in its purest form. Elena is artistic director for the Russian National Ballet Theater now, and assisting her is Alexander Daev. Together, they have focused the company on upholding the grand national tradition of the major Russian ballet works, those mainly of the famed choreographer Marius Petipa. Petipa is most known for choreographing the renowned Tchaikovsky ballets, The Sleeping Beauty, Nutcracker, and Swan Lake. And he also choreographed this production coming to Armstrong, Ludwig Minkus's Don Quixote. Let's talk a little bit more about Petipa. Petipa was born in 1818 in Marseille, France, and died in 1910 in what is now Ukraine. He worked for nearly 60 years at the Marinsky Theater in St. Petersburg and had a profound influence on Russian ballet. Both Marius and his brother received their early training from their father, a ballet master himself. The brother went on to be a principal dancer for the Paris Opera. Marius danced for the Marinsky Theater and later would stage his first ballets there. All in all, he produced over 60 ballets, being most famous for his collaborations again with Peter Tchaikovsky. But one of his most famous non-Tchaikovsky ballets is this one composed by Ludwig Minkus, also known as Leon Minkus. Minkus is not a composer who is a household name like Tchaikovsky or Beethoven or Mozart, but he is arguably one of the most prolific composers of 19th century ballet music. Some consider him the predecessor or the precursor to Tchaikovsky, who only wrote three full-length ballets himself. But Minkus was composing ballets at a time where the ballet master's name would be associated with the ballet, not the composer's, in terms of how it was marketed. This was the case until Tchaikovsky helped change that convention. Minkus grew up in Vienna, Austria, and began performing publicly on the piano from the age of eight, causing him to be known as a child prodigy. He also became a virtuoso violinist. He was principal violinist to the Vienna Court Opera in 1852. The following year, he moved to Russia and became violin soloist for the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow, later becoming director of that theater's orchestra. Let's hear another portion of Minkus's music in Don Quixote. This is the introduction, what might typically be called the overture, or the music that happens basically before the curtain opens. We're hearing the same recording that we heard at the beginning of the program by the Sofia National Opera Orchestra.
You are listening to Music for Life. This is KPCG. I'm Ryan Malone, concert manager for Armstrong Auditorium and host of this program. Today's episode has been another of our special pre-concert talks, and in it we are exploring Minkus's ballet, Don Quixote, with choreography by Marius Petipa, which will be performed by the Russian National Ballet Theater at Armstrong Auditorium Monday and Tuesday, January 30th and 31st at 7.30 p.m. We just heard the introduction to the entire ballet in a recording that I've been playing from the Sofia National Opera Orchestra with conductor Naidin Todorov. The ballet Don Quixote is based on episodes taken from the famous Spanish novel by Miguel de Cervantes, titled Don Quixote de la Mancha, about an old nobleman who, with his servant Sancho Panza, embarks on a series of adventures and misadventures. It's set in classical Spain, which Minkus evokes by use of different musical devices, one of which is the use of castanets, which you heard in that introduction movement. After that opening movement, the curtain opens on the first scene of the action, which is called the prologue, and it takes place in Don Quixote's study. Here, the title character sits over his books, which tell him of distant times of knighthood. Soon he believes himself to be called to knightly deeds, and so he sets out with his squire to sail forth into the world to seek adventures in the service of the beautiful Dulcinea, whom he apparently has glimpsed in a vision. Let's hear a movement from the prologue. This is called Entrance of Don Quixote. Thank you. 
That was a portion of the prologue scene which takes place in Don Quixote's study, a movement titled Entrance of Don Quixote. In this opening scene, where the title character believes himself to be called to knightly deeds, he soon sets out with his squire to sail forth into the world, seeking adventures in the service of this beautiful Dulcinea who he's glimpsed in a vision, he believes. After this prologue, we come to Act One, set in the square of Barcelona. Here we are introduced to Kitri, the daughter of the innkeeper Lorenzo, and her sweetheart, the barber Basilio. The two lovers, Kitri and Basilio, are disturbed to find out that the father, Lorenzo, has chosen a bridegroom for his daughter. But it's not Basilio. It's the old, rich Camacho. Don Quixote is there, and he believes he recognizes Kitri to be Dulcinea, and thus helps the young couple to flee. Let's hear a short movement from this scene, this square of Barcelona. This is in the first act. This movement is titled Street Dancer and Toreador, or Bullfighter. Street Dancer and Toreador, or Bullfighter. From the first act, The Square of Barcelona, that's a movement from Act One of Don Quixote. Act Two is set in a gypsy encampment. Let's hear two movements titled Gypsy Dance. Thank you. 
Those were two movements from Don Quixote by Ludwig Minkus, titled Gypsy Dance. Act two in this ballet takes place in a gypsy encampment. Basilio and Kitri, who has disguised herself as a young man, have found refuge among a band of gypsies. Don Quixote and Sancho Panza appear on the scene, and in their honor the gypsies put on a puppet show. Don Quixote, however, takes the play in bitter earnest and believes himself suddenly menaced on all sides by evil powers against whom he must protect Kitri. So he destroys the marionette theater and charges against some windmills in the distant horizon, which he mistakes for giants. Don Quixote then falls to the ground where he remains unconscious. Let's hear the movement from this act that depicts the puppet theater attacked by Don Quixote, who then attacks the windmills.
Ah, the brave Don Quixote fighting puppets and windmills. That was a movement from Act Two of Minkus's ballet, where the title character takes a puppet show a little too literally, attacks and destroys it, and then charges against some windmills on the horizon, which he thinks are giants. Now, he falls asleep. Act three in this production, according to the program, is divided into four scenes, two of which happen on the first side of our performance's intermission. The last two constitute the second half of this performance. The first scene of Act 3 is a forest. Don Quixote dreams of Dulcinea while he's asleep there, who in his dream, she appears as a queen of the wood nymphs, and she praises him for his courage and deeds and crowns him with a laurel. Let's hear an example from this section. This is titled, He Dreams of Dulcinea. That was the gorgeous movement, He Dreams of Dulcinea, where Don Quixote dreams of Dulcinea, who in his dream appears as queen of the wood nymphs in this scene, which is a forest. She praises him for his courage and his deeds and crowns him with a laurel, as I mentioned before. In the next scene of this act, which is called Night in a Village, Camacho wakes Don Quixote from his dream and they both go to a tavern and then we are programmed to have an intermission. After the intermission, we go to the third scene of the third act, which takes place in the tavern. Lorenzo and Camacho have succeeded in catching Lorenzo's daughter, Kitri, in spite of her disguises. She is now to be dragged to the altar and forced to marry Camacho. Basilio is in such despair over this, yet in the nick of time, Don Quixote and Sancho Panza appear and cause everything to turn out to where Kitri can marry her Basilio. Finally, in the fourth and final scene of this act, which takes place in the palace, Kitri and Basilio celebrate their wedding in a grand pas de deux, which I played at the top of the program. Pas de deux is a French term for dance duet, literally meaning step of two, and typically it's a romantic duet between a male lead and a female lead in a ballet. It's typically the pinnacle moment, actually, of any classical ballet. After this dance, Don Quixote realizes that he has not yet found his Dulcinea, and with Sancho, sets off for more adventures. Let's hear another excerpt from this great music. Here is the movement where the second half of our performance will open. This music is styled after a march. 
You are listening to Music for Life. This is KPCG. I'm Ryan Malone, concert manager for Armstrong Auditorium and host of this program. Today's episode has been another of our special pre-concert talks, and in it we have explored the Russian National Ballet Theater and the ballet Don Quixote by Minkus, with choreography by Petapa, which this renowned company will be performing at Armstrong Auditorium Monday and Tuesday, January 30th and 31st at 7.30 p.m. More information about this performance can be found at armstrongauditorium.org. You can also follow Armstrong Auditorium on Twitter at armstrongaud, Armstrong A-U-D. You can follow this program on Facebook and Twitter at Music for Life PCG. And we would also be grateful if you could rate and or review this podcast in iTunes or like us on SoundCloud by clicking on the heart for this episode. Before we play one final example from Ludwig Minkus's ballet, I'd like to make one final announcement. A few weeks ago, we discussed a new stage production here at Armstrong Auditorium, The Widow's Might, the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. I had played early mixes of clips from our cast's studio recording, and I'm happy to announce that the mixes have all been finalized, and this audio recording is now available in major digital stores like Spotify, Amazon.com, Google Play, and many others. We will post a link to that recording on our social media outlets if you are interested. All right, to finish today's program, I want to play the finale titled Spanish Dance. Enjoy this recording that I've been playing today by the Sofia National Opera Orchestra with Naiden Todorov conducting.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.